right, last week we talked about really the first thing that really matters when it comes to, you know, we talk about seeking the Holy Spirit, seeking for the Spirit to work. We want Him to manifest Himself. We want Him to fill this room with the glory of God. Uh, We want to see Him powerfully at work in our lives, in in the lives of people around us. Uh, we want to, you know, know what our spiritual gifts are. We want to know what He has given me to do in this world. But before we get really get to any of that, we have to go to the first things. And the first things that we approached last week was He brings us to the point where we recognize that the Father loves me, and in return, we love Christ because He opens our eyes to the truth of Christ and we see Him as real and we long for Him and we love Him. And that's of the Spirit because the human heart cannot do that unless the Spirit starts that within us. Um, we talked about that in detail last week. Now, we're going to talk more about this. I have this titled, Walking in the Spirit, because we've heard that term before. And I want to kind of approach this today from an angle of what's it mean to walk in the Spirit, okay? Um, and I have a definition here. It's kind of a, it's the same idea stated two different ways. The definition is listed at the top of this little sheet. Um, and it says, the, de- the definition of walking in the Spirit, manifesting the intended outcome of the work of the Spirit in our age. The external and internal response to a personal submission to the work and leading of the Spirit. Now, sometimes we can really water down what it really means to walk in the Spirit. Some people will just view it as this obscure statement that simply means, yeah, you just, you just love God, and you go to church, and you try to do right. Um, then you're walking in the Spirit. And there's an element of that that's kind of true, but it's really watered down. And I want to make, in really, John, in 1 John, gives us a pretty good analysis of what it means to walk in the Spirit. And most of today, we'll be observing um, the teachings of John in 1 John. Because, like I said, he really does a great job detailing what the Spirit works in us. Because that's the work of the... We're going to see the work of the Spirit. The work of the Spirit is not just to do something himself without our, um, without our participation. The Spirit was given to us. He abides within us. We cannot approach the Spirit as though He's going to do something on His own without us having to participate in it. Because that's not the way the Spirit works. We are, you know, God has made the church the body of Christ. That means you and I make up the hands, the arms, the feet, the organs, the eyes, the ears, the head of Jesus. It's not just like a, a body of water, like where it's just this obscure pool of people. No, we are literally the physical presence of Jesus on the earth, and the Spirit works within the body of Christ, in the individual, and among the people at large, to show forth the glory of Christ to the world around us, which means if the Spirit is going to do something in the world, it's going to be through the participation of His people the people that He is in, and empowering. We can't just pray for our, our, uh, our community. God, just save people in our community. We can't just pray that prayer, because how, how are they going to hear without a preacher, right? 
Could God do it by His power, by His miraculous power? Sure. But that's not how He set things up. He set things up for us to walk in the Spirit, go do the things that Jesus did, and thereby see communities reached for the, with the gospel of Jesus Christ through the participation of the people of God. That is how God works in our world. Every once in a while, you do, you do hear of people having dreams and visions that have nothing to do with the participation of God's people and different types of miracles that happen apart from, apart from really the you know, participation of the, of the people. But that is rare. That is not the norm. That's not what it ever was meant to be the norm. You hear a lot of people overseas being, you know, having dreams and Jesus coming to them and they get saved and start churches and things like that. But that's not the norm. That was never meant to be the norm in the world. So when we pray for our community, when we pray for our neighbor to come to Christ, we have to be willing to, to be that participant in the work of God to that person because that's how God has set it up. And we're going to see some of this participatory work in 1 John chapter 3. Um, so let's go there together. 1 John chapter 3. <clears throat> Starting in verse 23. And it says, And this is the commandment, that we believe in the name of the Son of Jesus Christ, or of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as He has commanded us. Whoever keeps His commandments abides in God, and God in Him. And by this we know that He abides in us, by the Spirit whom He has given us. Now, I wrote here on this sheet that chapter 3, verses 23 and 24, and chapter 5, verses 1 through 3 serve as bookends, because they really say the same thing with a conversation about it in between the two passages. So I want to read chapter 5, verses 1 through 3, well, somebody else read this. Somebody else read chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God. Everyone who loves the Father loves his children too. We know we love God's children. We love God and obey his commandments. Loving God means keeping his commandments. And his commandments are not burdens. Okay, so these two passages that were just read really say the same thing. Um... And all of chapter 4 really is more of a, an elaborated discussion about the things he just said. He starts it with that, he talks about it, and then he summarizes it again so that we get the main points. And the main points are really what I've written down here in 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5 um, that we're going to be looking at through the course of this evening. We may not get through all of them. It all depends on how the discussion goes. Um, but the first thing we see here, if we start with chapter 3, verse 23, we see that what the Spirit works in man is, I mean, really, this is <laughs> introductory. We believe in the name of Jesus. In verse 23, verse A, he says, and this is the commandment that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ. So if we're going to obey God, you know, if, even if he was just an obscure entity in our minds, we don't, some, sometimes we have a hard time viewing God as a trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. And most of us have no idea what's the role of the Father, you know, the identity of the Father, the identity of the Son, the identity of the Spirit. That's, why we're, that's part of the reason we're going through the Spirit, the Spirit, because we need to get to know him. Because he is our power today. He is the one by whose strength we live and breathe. We need to get to know this, this 
you don't want to say part, but this person of the Trinity, if we are to faithfully keep the commands of God and to know who is working in us. So the first thing we see here, that we believe in the name of the Son of, Jesus, the Son of God, believe in the name of Jesus. And he elaborates more on that in chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Somebody read 4, 1 through 3. Okay, so when the Spirit opens the eyes of a man to see and to testify, Jesus is the Son of God. He has been sent by the Father's love to come and to bear the wrath of many, to sacrifice himself, to make atonement for our sins. If a person sees that and realizes that and submits themselves to it by faith, they are a child of God. And if anybody rejects any part of that, who rejects who Jesus is, what He came for, who sent Him, that He came in the name of the Father. If anybody rejects that stuff, that person cannot be from God. That is the spirit of the Antichrist. Which is, uh, That was one of the rabbit trails I got on today, is the talk, looking through the spirit of the Antichrist, and that's a big discussion. You know, Because we often think about the Antichrist as somebody who's coming, but he's talking about the spirit of the Antichrist as something that's already here. It's already everywhere in the world. Satan has planted this seed all the way back in the beginning. Really, it comes down to the seed of independence and idolatry that the Antichrist comes and pushes replacements for the truth, replacements for Jesus. That is out in the world already. There's plenty of other alternatives in the world to believing in Jesus. And if anybody is walking according to one of these alternatives, then they do not have the Spirit of God. They are a false teacher. They have the Spirit of the Antichrist. He makes it simple, as plain as day. Anybody who rejects Jesus is not of God. Count it as simple as that. Mathematically, I mean, that's one plus one is two. You have a person saying Jesus is not the Son of God, then that means they have the spirit of the Antichrist and they are not from God. And we have to, and we can only take, you know, we can't take them um, as anything but a false prophet. Um, somebody read 4, 13 through 19. Okay, so this is kind of a segue into the second one too, but by and large he's saying the same thing, is that by the Spirit we have come to know and to testify 
that Jesus is the Son of God. We've see, we see it, we, we believe it to the point that we're willing to proclaim His name in the world. We're not, gonna, we're not uncertain, we're not unconfident. We know that Jesus is the Son of God. We will testify to it. If somebody challenges the name of Jesus, then we will stand up and stand up for Jesus. Because we believe it and we cannot be silent if somebody comes with the spirit of the Antichrist standing against Jesus. And not only that, but this belief in Jesus, coming not just the belief in Jesus, but coming to know this Jesus... You know, I believe that my wife exists, but that doesn't make us intimate. <laughs> but I know her. I've gotten to know her. I'm still getting to know her. And in the same way, we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us in Jesus. And we continue getting to know this Jesus, the Son of God. And as we continue to get to know Him, our love and our passion for Him continue to grow. And this then builds, as, as we progress in this, even from the very beginning this exists, but number two, that we love one another. You know, we might say, well, if, if it's just as simple as, well, you, there's a lot of people who say that Jesus is the Son of God. A lot of people will have a cross hanging on their wall. A lot of people will go to church on Sundays, or at least Easter and Christmas. They at least believe in Jesus in that, to that extent. They're willing to at least give Him a couple days a year. You know, so that just must mean they're Christian, right? Well, there are four more things that tell us how we can know somebody is actually walking in the Spirit, okay? And the second thing is that we love one another. Actually, let me read it. I didn't have this written down, but 1 John 5.13 says, and he's kind of summarizing why he's writing this book to these people. Somebody read 1 John 5.13. I Okay, so he's writing this book to this audience, to, you know, prophesying to every generation since, so that we may know that we have eternal life, so that we know that we're the children of God. So, we can't, and then he is making these points to show us how we can be confident in the day of judgment. Okay, we need to start with, okay, our foundation is the love of God shed to us in Jesus Christ. But then if you're going to take if you if you truly have received of Christ, if you have truly been born of the Spirit and have come to really know the love that the Father has for you, then you keep going down these steps. Then you keep growing. Now everybody is not going to look the same. Not everybody is at the same level of maturity. We can't judge somebody according to these just based off of our lofty expectations of people. But this stuff will exist in every believer to some degree. Okay. Number two, we will love one another. So in uh, chapter 3, verse 23, the last part of that verse says, um, well, let's just read the whole verse. And this is His commandment that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as He commanded us. Okay? So, another evidence that we're walking in the Spirit, that we've been awakened by the Spirit to see the truth, is that that truth has caused us to go out and love one another. Somebody read chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. Love does not know God because God is love. 
God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us, and his love is made complete in us. Amen. This reminds me of a parable of Jesus. Do you remember that parable that Jesus told about, there was a, a king or a manager, I can't remember which, but he had a servant who owed him an unpayable debt. And the king or the manager was going to put him in prison, but the, the servant just pleaded with him, I will pay you everything, just give me time. And what, do you remember what the, the master did? Did he just give him some time? What did he do? <laughs> he forgave him. You know, and sometimes, and when somebody truly can come to Jesus, into faith in Jesus, they can have an immature perspective of what happens at salvation. We might say, God, just, I'll try to do better. Just please save me. <laughs> you know, okay. That might have a hint of, of incorrect theology in that, but the Lord looks upon that with pity and compassion. Okay? So the master in this parable forgave the man of all of his debt. But do you remember what happens next in that parable? Hmm. Somebody tell me. Who wants to, who wants to tell me? <laughs> well, he wasn't forgiving. Somebody owed him a little bit. Pedally, yeah, right. He was having him put in prison. Right, right. And, and somebody went and told the king mm -hmm. the manager. Yep. He became very angry. And what did he do to that man? Yeah, <laughs> he had him thrown into the dungeon until he paid the last penny. He held him responsible for his debt, which he could never pay. He would, have di he would die in that prison or whatever, however things worked back in that day in the parable, blah, blah, blah. So in this passage, we see, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Um, let me see here. Um, Number verse 9, in this the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So we see the love that we've received from the father. And if we have truly received it and we have truly been given the love of God and have entered into the union with the Spirit and He starts transforming us by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Ghost, then comes verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us. But what does He say in verse 8? Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So if there is somebody who names the name of Jesus, okay, they've fulfilled number verse one or number number one on our list. They claim to know Jesus. They claim to believe in Jesus. But then when number two comes, they're a train wreck and there is absolutely no love in this person. Number one is void. It's null and void. It doesn't count for anything because if you truly knew Jesus, then you would love like Jesus. That's just how people. That's just how God, the kingdom of God works. You cannot claim to love Jesus and to be, have, been, have received His grace and His mercy without then taking that and giving the same to other people. It just cannot happen. 
It doesn't matter how much you know about the Bible. If, that has not, if the Spirit has not washed you, cleansed you, and given you that new heart of flesh with which you can love people, then you're not God's. It's just, I mean, he makes it as simple as that. If you are going to name the name of Jesus, and that's going to be genuine, then you have to love people. You have to love each other. There's no way around it, because that's what God is like. That's who God is. That's one of the reasons he has called you into his family, so he could sanctify you, set you apart as some peculiar people, and then go out into the world as the body of Christ, doing to other people what he has done to you. That's part of the whole mission of the kingdom of God. You can't just accept Christ and then just sit back and not love anybody. Why don't you read that for us? (laughs) If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. Hmm. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And follow it up with verse 21, because this was the next passage on this list anyway. That's okay. And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God loveth his brother also. Okay, so you want to talk about the law of Christ? He makes it clear what it all revolves around. We, this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. That's the number one commandment for the people of God. That's where everything else flows from. I mean, we read 1 Corinthians 13 last week. Last week, If you don't have love, nothing you do is worth anything. God's not in it if there's no love, because God is love. If God were in it, then it would be full of love. <laughs> so if there... Kristen? What do you say to those who are kind of assuming it would be everyone, whose love is not perfect, and they do struggle with people, or there is this... Is there like a... Something whereby we can... I can't either. I mean, the first passage that comes to my mind is something John told us at the beginning of chapter 2 when he says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. I mean, he loved perfectly. Okay? He loved perfectly. And he knew from the very beginning that we would never be able to love perfectly as he loves. But he is renewing us. He is washing us. He continues you know, studying the whole Jesus cleansing his disciples' feet. He told Peter, you don't need me to wash your whole body because you're already clean because of the words that I've spoken to you. But I must wash your feet. Because if I don't wash your feet, then you have no part of me. And I was studying into that, and it just, came, it just dawned on me. I think it, what he's talking about is, okay, he's cleansed us. We are clean, but as we're walking around in this earth, our feet get dirty. <laughs> they get filthy again. It doesn't mean that we're impure in God's eyes, that Jesus is no longer the, uh, the propitiation for our sins, that God lays his wrath upon us again. But he does need to renew us day by day washing our feet because we get dirty as we're living life, as we're walking to and fro, doing this and that. Parts of the world stick to us. So would you say more that it's like a characteristic of you that like you're unwilling to, you know, love this particular person? Because I wouldn't say mm-hmm. that I know anybody who 
claims to be a Christian and yet, you know, hates all of Christians. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But like, sh- I sure know of interpersonal problems right. that go on between various people, including myself, mm-hmm. that where it's, you know, you don't want to condemn yourself. Right. But yet... I would appro- if somebody approached me like that with a sincere case, which everybody could really, you know, I I could approach <laughs> myself with that. Yeah. Well, I, the first thing I would say is basically this: that um, it comes back to what the Bible says. The Bible says that if God is in you, He's going to form that love in you. And sometimes we're held back by unbelief. Mm-hmm. Is that we don't really believe that God is sanctifying us, and that God is changing us. We don't really believe that, so we don't actually make progress like we ought to, because our theology is rooted in how I feel about myself. I am so down on myself because I can't get this straight. I can't love like I ought to. I want to, but I can't, because look at me. I love myself so much. (laughs) I know how that feels. I grieve over that quite often. I know that my love, I mean, I could talk to any one of you and tell you, my love for you is not perfect, and it will never be perfect. Because even though I am the part of the body of Christ, I have not come to the point where I am like Him because I see Him face to face. Okay, It has not been perfected in that regard. But I know what the Bible says, and I know the Bible says that He's sanctifying me. And as I go out, I must overcome the evil one, which is something we're actually going to look at. I can overcome the evil one because of the spirit that's living within me. Even though I'm plagued by this lack of love, I can overcome that. I can grow in that because the spirit is within me. Because God loves me and I can respond to that. He, he will help me grow in that. He will make me more like his son. And if I believe that, then I will make progress. But if I don't believe that, if I believe that I'm just... I'm worthless. I'm never going to amount to anything for the Son of God because look at me, look at my past, look at my struggles. That's bad theology. Because the Bible says He will conform you into the image of His Son. He will give you love for for His people and for the world around you. That's what the Bible says. And if you will not believe that, then you're not believing the Scriptures, which really is what we address in number four. If you can't believe what the Scriptures say, then how can you say you're following it? How can you say you're a disciple of Christ if you won't actually follow Him and believe what He has said and believe what He has done? How can you say that? And desire to have that relationship with the Spirit as He leads and teaches to be humble mm-hmm. enough to admit and yeah. just like realizing the sanctification process. Right. Desiring to be closer and to right. listen and mm-hmm. to be led. Right. And to be purified. Right. And I, and I grew, you know, I, I can't always blame it on that, but I know I, have, I used to be like this. I, you know, I've been around people like this. I've you know, interacted with people like this, but it's just like there's an element of a, there's an, the Im, an immature form of Christianity just says, no, this is legalism. You can't command people to love each other in order to be saved. But it's a misunderstanding of the theology around salvation. Okay? When you have received the love of God, God dwells within you, and His love conforms you. Okay? 
So if the love is not conforming you, then you can't say that you're saved because that's, the, that's what the Bible says. If his love is within you and it abides within you, it will make you more like him throughout the course of your life. You know, and I, you know, I've known plenty of people who will say that this is heresy because it draws us away from faith in Christ, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he has saved us. You can't say that you have to love one another in order to be a follower of Christ. Yes, I can, because the Bible said it. So if the Bible said it, then it has to fit in our theology. <laughs> I think there's a clear implication that you don't... I don't think a person who truly understands what they've been forgiven of or have an understanding of God's love in their life mm -hmm. would be incapable of loving others. Yeah. I think you know, there might be some people with some rough edges that it takes time, but yeah. once someone has had an encounter with the forgiveness of Jesus, Christ, mm -hmm. I think it would be very hard to continue to live right. without that desire. So I think the Spirit comes in yeah. and inspires that love. Yeah. You're, I think you're completely right. It reminds me of the story about when Jesus was invited over to a Pharisee's house and there was a woman and there was a woman there who just she was a, you know, the Bible says she was a sinner. We can assume that she was probably a prostitute. Um, and she was just at the feet of Jesus, weeping and washing his feet. And the Pharisee looks upon Jesus and the situation that's happening, and he starts judging Jesus. If he was a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this was who was doing this to him. And Jesus approaches him, and he says, he said his name, I can't remember his name. Um, but he says, so, well, just to fast forward, basically, you, I came to your house, you didn't wash my feet, you didn't anoint me with oil, but this woman hasn't ceased to do so since I've sat down here. And then he says, whoever has been forgiven much, loves much. Who has, whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. So to your point that you bring up, he was teaching exactly that. If you know what you've been forgiven, if you've been brought to faith in Jesus Christ because of desperation, because you're backed into a corner, then you know what kind of love the Lord has shed upon you because you know that you are utterly under the wrath of God with no way out except Jesus. If you have never felt the weight of your sin, it's hard for you to understand the love of God. It's hard. Because those who have been forgiven much, and they can see that they've been forgiven much, they are the ones who love much. The people who feel like they're, they're okay, you know, but they have the correct theology, they're not going to show forth a lot of love. Because they've never known the desperation behind being a sinner and being trapped <laughs> and enslaved to sin and to see God reach down and pull them out and save them and forgive them without them having to pay Him anything. That type of person really knows love. But the type of person who sits in the pew week after week, never really feeling like they're really that bad of a person, yeah, they know the theology about the wrath of God and hell and all that kind of stuff and what we deserve, but they've never really sensed the desperation. They've never really sensed the wrath that they deserved before salvation. That person, they're not going to express their love for God. They're not going to really express their love for other people. They'll talk about how, yeah, I love Jesus, I love God, but they're never really going to you know, in the church service, that's the type of person who's never going to say, Amen! That's the type of person who's never going to raise their hands. That's the type of person who's never going to make their love known. Because they don't really have a lot of it. 
And when they're in talking to people, their neighbors, they're going to be the ones afraid to talk about Jesus because they don't really love him like the person who has been saved out of desperation, who just can't stop talking about him because they've known his love. And I don't want to stand here and judge anybody on an individual basis, but theologically it's there. The people who really know the love of God are the ones who really love. And you can't have that without the theology of depravity. If you, and the understanding, the, the sense of your own depravity and what God has saved you from. By His grace, by His love. That's why the first element of this that we talked about last week is the Spirit helps you to see God the Father's love for you. Because if you don't understand God the Father's love for you, mercy and grace are just empty words. Because mercy and grace are born from love. And if you can't understand and accept the Father's love for you, then you can't really appreciate grace and mercy. And you can't really appreciate the Father's love for you if you kind of think that you're kind of lovable. (laughs) There's no profundity to that. There's no counterintuitive nature to that. It's, e- you know, it's easy to love somebody who's lovable. But God loved us while we were still sinners. And when we really see that on a personal level, that's when we truly start to know the love of God and show the love of God to sinners. Well, we got... Go ahead. Well, I'm just thinking this morning, <clears throat> as I was reading that again, the fact that God knows everything about us makes His love much different. Mm-hmm. We knew everything about each of us. Yeah. We wouldn't be here tonight. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. Because our love is not steadfast like his. Right. And quite honestly, what what is the... Yeah. And strife, separation, bitterness, grudges, where do they all come from? The fact that I saw something about my fellow church member or whatever that I don't like and I can't abide it. (laughs) And I can't abide it. God abides us every single day. How dare we say, I can't abide that? How can we say that? That's where strife comes from. It's when we see something wrong in somebody else and cannot release them of it. We cannot forgive them of it. We cannot accept the fact that they're my brother and they were equal. We have to rise above them. Because, oh, can you, can you believe that, what they did? I can't abide that. That's why, what? Yeah, he did. He did. And that's why, if the love of God has truly been born in our hearts, we can abide sinners. <laughs> Well, we do have to start wrapping it up here. We'll deal with these last three next week. Um, but I think this was a great discussion. Um, if you guys have anything else you'd like to add in the meantime, you know, before we start getting to our prayer list, please feel free.